Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Man, thank you, choir and orchestra, for leading us. Praise team. That was awesome. Well, you guys know we're in this series called Relationship Goals, and we're, we're seeking biblical wisdom to help us understand how to navigate our relationships and make them relationships that honor the Lord. And all of us are in relationships with people. And so I thought I would start this morning by telling you about a situation that happened in my life when I was in college with a student that I had a friendship with. Um, I went to Howard Payne University. Howard Payne University is a tiny little Christian Baptist college out in the middle of nowhere in Brownwood, Texas. If you're from Brownwood, sorry, it's in the middle of nowhere. Still is. Uh, every road out of Brownwood leads up, you know, it's a hole in the ground basically. And so the only thing there was Howard Payne University, which was a good thing for me because there wasn't a lot else to do except go to school and do what I was supposed to be doing. But at the time that I was there in the 80s, it was about 800, 850 students, something like that. So small, small school. And, um, you know, a lot of preacher boys, a lot of students that were there to seek ministry degrees. And, um, and we like to think of ourselves in the 80s as being radical. Now, radical has become a bad word. Ever since 9-11, the uh, terrorists that hit the World Trade Center, we, we refer to them as Islamic, radical Islamists. And so now the word radical means something different, and it's kind of a negative thing, and you don't want to be radical. Radical is really bad. It's on the extreme. It's far out there. Well, in the 80s, if you were on fire for Jesus, you wanted to be radical. You wanted to be radical for Jesus. Some of you are shaking your heads. You remember that time, okay? If you went to a camp or a, like our kids are going to go to this week or Disciple Now weekend, I mean radical would be the theme, you know. It's like be radical. Don't just be normal. Don't be lukewarm. Be on fire for Jesus, you know. So I was around a lot of students that thought of themselves in that way. I thought of myself in that way. And, and, um, and there was a one friend of mine named Daniel. And Daniel and I became friends once we got to college. I didn't know him before I'd gone out to school. And um, Daniel had a uniform that he wore. Not really, but he, had, he wore the same thing every day. Basically, he wore camouflage army fatigues tied at the bottom, and he wore a Christian T-shirt tucked in. And every day, different T-shirt, maybe the same pants, I have no idea. But he would, he would dress the same way every day. And, and he and I were friends. He was friends with my roommate. And he knocks on our door one day, our dorm room door, and he comes in and he starts talking, he starts looking at me, he looks at my roommate, Mark, and Mark's a great guy, he's been a pastor for all these years, he and I are roommates in college, best friends, accountability partners, and Mark is wearing a shirt that has a little polo guy on it, a little horse and rider, you know, a little embroidery thing, complimentary color to the shirt, you know, and Daniel sees the polo shirt on Mark and he loses it. He's like, what? are you wearing? What are you doing? Look at you. What is wrong with you? You're becoming worldly. You're loving the world, man. What are you doing wearing that brand? That is so not of Jesus, man. I cannot believe you're wearing that shirt. What is the matter with you? He is just letting him have it. And Mark just waits till he gets finished and he goes, it was a gift, Daniel. Somebody gave it to me. What do you want me to do? Not wear it? How much did your shirt cost, Daniel? Daniel's like, I don't know, about 10 bucks or something. He goes, this was free. This didn't cost me anything. Should I have burned it? Should I throw it away? What should I? Come here, Daniel. Let me show you something. He goes over the closet. He opens up our closet, and he starts taking out shirts and laying them on his bed. He just got polo shirt after polo shirt after polo shirt. He goes, Daniel, guess what? Every one of those was free to me. My cousin can't wear them anymore, and he gave them to me. So what should I do with them, Daniel? Should I burn them? Should I get rid of them? What should I do? Daniel, tell me how I should live my life, okay? Because I don't obviously know how to live for Christ. So why don't you tell me what I'm supposed to do for Christ? And I'm, like, I'm sitting back there going, go Mark, man, you know. <laughs> yeah, brother, speak the truth. Because here's the thing. All of us get involved in relationships and sooner or later, 
control issues surface, right? Happens in your marriage, happens with your kids, happens with other adults you know, friends, family. Somebody tries to get in your business. Somebody tries to take control of something that they're not supposed to be in control of, right? It happens all the time. So some of you are sitting there looking at me going, I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, you do. All of us deal with control issues in our lives. It happens all the time. So this passage of scripture that we're going to look at today is deals specifically with this very issue. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to John 21, and we're going to look in verse 18 through 22. And I love that the Bible uh, even includes this story because I don't know about you, sometimes I'm the controller. I'm just going to admit that to you. And sometimes I'm the person somebody else is trying to control. And that's probably true for you as well. You probably could come up here and tell me a similar story or two from this very week where someone sought to control you or you sought to control someone else. Well, in John 21, what, what's happening is Jesus has risen from the dead and he's appeared twice to the disciples already. And this is the third appearance he's going to make to them. And they've been out fishing on the Sea of Galilee all night and they haven't caught a single fish. And they get close to the northern shore there and they see Jesus and he's out standing by a fire and they go, oh, that's Jesus, Jesus, what's going on? He's like, hey guys, throw your net on the other side of the boat and see what happens. And they do, and they catch so many fish, they can't even hardly get the net back in the boat, you know. So Peter jumps out of the boat, and he's heading to shore. He wants to see Jesus. And so it's at this moment that Peter really is restored to his place of leadership in God's kingdom. Because you remember on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter betrayed him and denied him three times. So now, standing by this fire, and I love that Jesus, the God of the universe, in the form of a man, has made breakfast for his disciples. Humble servant. Okay, that's a side note, but I love that about him. And so he's got bread there. He's got fish cooking on the grill and they come up, Peter comes up and he asks Peter three times. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yes, Lord, I love you. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. So he asked him three times. And then in that moment, uh, we pick up in verse 18. So if you would stand with me out of reverence for God and his word, and let's pick that up there in verse 18 is Jesus speaks to Peter. And he says this, he says, I assure you, when you were young, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to signify by what kind of death he would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. So Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved, speaking of John, following them. And that disciple was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. All right, thanks. You guys can have a seat this morning. So I love this story because I can relate to it. You probably can too. Here's Jesus and John and Peter, and Peter's just been restored. And, and he looks over at John and he says, now I'm with you, Jesus. I'm going to lead for you. I'm going to feed your sheep. I'm going to do what you asked me to do. So uh, what about him? What, what should we do with him? What, what do you want me to say to him? And Jesus is like, Peter, it's not about him, okay? Stop focusing on him. So when we see control issues begin to surface in our relationships, there's three relationship goals I want to share with you this morning that you can kind of focus on, that you can take out of here when you leave. And the first one is this, stay focused on following Jesus. I mean, it's twice in those short verses that we read, Jesus looks at him and says, follow 
me, Peter. It's almost like Jesus is going, Peter, Peter, over here, over here, eyes on me, okay? Don't worry about John. I have a relationship with John. I have a relationship with you. Don't worry about John. You focus on following me. He's trying to help Peter regain his focus. And the reality is we can't do both things. We can't try to control other people and focus on them and at the same time focus on following Jesus. We can't do that. So Jesus makes it real simple. I love this because I'm, I'm a simple guy. I need it simple. Makes it real simple. He says, follow me. Don't worry about John. I'm John's Lord. You don't worry about John. You focus, Peter, on following me. And, and that's not like an uncommon un, uh, thing for Jesus to talk about. Actually, he talks about that in Matthew 7. You'll remember this passage in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but don't notice the log in your own eye? You look, you notice, those are observations, those are part of focusing. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and look, there's a log in your eye. Hypocrite. First take the log out of your eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Look, notice, see clearly. All of this passage from the Sermon on the Mount is about focusing. Jesus is saying, don't be focused on somebody else. Focus on me. Focus your life on simply following me. I mean, no sooner had Peter stepped up to leadership that he's basically getting in somebody else's business. And I don't believe that Jesus is just making a clarification here. I think he's rebuking Peter. That's what it sounds like to me. He's saying, Peter, wait a minute. What's it to you if I tell John to do something different than I've told you to do? So, you know, there's this comparison here between a speck of dust and a beam. And guys, uh, the beam he's talking about would be like a floor joist. It's like a huge chunk of wood. And he's saying, you're, when you're focused on other people, you're not going to see what's going on in your own life. You're going to miss the things that are, that are obviously wrong in your own life. But if you focus on following me, that's going to be different in your life. So some of you are sitting here today and you're thinking, man, I wish so-and-so were here this morning to hear this sermon, right? Right? Stop doing that and focus on you this morning. Not your kids, not your spouse, not your friend, not your aunt or uncle or your parents. Focus on your own fellowship of Jesus. Because you see, you can't lead until you follow. You look at Peter, he's, Jesus has just restored him and said, now I want you to feed my sheep. Which in other words, he was saying, I want you to shepherd my people. I want you to provide for what they need. I want you to lead them. And that's not an unfamiliar concept for us at Moberly because that's our mission statement. People leading people into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for. We're leading other people. Can't do it if you're not following Jesus. If you're not personally following Jesus, you can't possibly know how to lead anybody to him or for him. You can't do it. So in order to lead, you have to start by following. That's the only way you can effectively and correctly lead. But I, I want you to see another thing about his following. For Jesus, following him is personal. He says, follow me. That's very personal. And for some of us, Christianity has become impersonal. We follow Christianity. We follow the causes or the teachings of Jesus Christ. That's not what Jesus said to do. He said, follow me. It's personal. We talk about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. When you walked in those doors a few minutes ago, was your focus to follow Jesus? Or was it, hey, let me go hear a good sermon or let me go hear some good music. Let me go be part of Christianity, be part of what God's doing at Marbley Baptist Church. And those things are not bad things, but they're not a substitute 
for actually following Jesus personally. For Jesus, it was personal. Peter, follow me. This is about me and you. This is about my relationship with you. And if you get that wrong, Peter, you're not going to be able to do anything else right for me. That's where it starts. So this morning, is that where you are? Are you, are you in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Has it become impersonal for you? That's not what God intends. That's not what Jesus intends. So many times people who are Christians take up Christian causes, feed the hungry, clothe people who need clothing, take care of their housing, help them with their physical needs. Those are not bad things, right? But that's not what Christianity is really about. Christianity is really about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you lose sight of that, if it becomes impersonal for you, well, then you might slip into trying to control other people. That may be one of the things that happens in your life. And that's not what Jesus wants for you. He wants you to follow him personally. So, so let me ask you this question, maybe a more important question. When you walk out of these doors in just a few minutes, what will your focus be? Will it be on following him? Will you follow him out these doors? Will you follow him to lunch? Will you follow him to whatever it is you have planned this afternoon? See, I want to ask you a life-changing question. A life-changing question is this, how are you listening to Jesus today? Not had you listened to him when you were a teenager and your heart was on fire for God, or not had you listened to him when you first learned to walk with him. How are you listening to him today? How have you listened to him today? You say, well, I'm sitting here, I'm listening. <laughs> That's fine, is it personal? He wants to have a personal relationship with you. And he's telling Peter, it's very personal, Peter. You gotta stay focused on me. It can't be about all the things you do. It's got, about, it's got to be about your relationship with me. So when you see control issues surface in your relationships, one of the first questions you can ask yourself is, am I following Jesus? Am I focused on following Jesus? You need to stay focused on that. Second thing is stay free from controlling others. When you see control issues surface, step away from those things. Even if you're the controller. Peter was a controller. I mean, how many times through his life in the Gospels do you see him trying to take control of situations? We could talk about a lot of them. Let me just point out one of them to you where Jesus is laying out all the things that's going to happen to him in Mark chapter 8. And it says this, Then he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, be killed, and rise after three days. And he was openly talking about this. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter is rebuking God. Peter is seeking to control God. Yeah, he's got some control issues, doesn't he? Right? But we do the same thing sometimes. Oh, God, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to do that. Or I can't trust you to do that. Peter is seeking to control Jesus. And Jesus doesn't like it. So Jesus turns around and looking at his disciples. He rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but man's. And when we seek to control other people, that's often the problem is we're seeking to get them to do what we want them to do, not necessarily what God wants them to do. We're concerned with what we want, not necessarily what God wants. Peter had a control issue. And I love Peter because I can relate to him. I struggle with that sometimes in my own life. And so do you. I know we do. Control is a trap. Trying to control other people actually creates more bondage in your life. It doesn't bring more freedom. We sometimes think, well, if I could take control of them, if I could have control of them, if I could get them to do this and not do this thing, then I'd be happier. I'd have more joy. I'd be freer. No, that's not the way it works, is it? First little church that I served at outside of Tyler, I had a youth group. I was a youth minister. I had a youth group of about 20, 25 kids. 
And uh, I didn't know what I was doing. I'd just gotten out of college, and I had no idea how to be a youth minister. And they gave me the title and gave me a little paycheck and gave me a little office. And I was like, okay, here we go. Now what do I do? And so trying to figure it out as I went, I got a lot of counsel from people. But, but one of the things that I slipped into in that ministry, kind of without really knowing what I was doing, was trying to, trying to control those kids. I knew them really well. I mean, there's 20 kids in your youth group. And we had a, a gymnasium at our church. And so the kids were down there two or three nights a week. My house was right across the pasture from the gym. So they were in my house. So I knew a lot about those kids. I was very intimately involved in their lives. And, uh, and so it got unhealthy because what would happen is there'd be a party somewhere or down some pasture or down some road. And some parent would call me and say, you know, there's a party or not. And I heard so-and-so and so-and-so are going. You better get down there. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't have a law enforcement degree. I don't have a badge or a gun. So what do you want me to do? Well, you're the youth minister. You better control those kids. You better control those kids. They're out of control. And you know what? I did it dumb. I don't have control over kids. People used to say to me, are you got those kids under control? And I'd gladly say, no, I don't have them under control. I have no idea what they're doing. I have no idea. It's not my job. I learned that in that moment. Well, when I came to Marley and interviewed, one of the youth workers asked me this question because they were asking me all kinds of questions. And they said this, if you're in a situation where you got all your kids in a room or some space or whatever, and you're trying to teach them and some kid's disruptive, what do you do? How do you handle that? And I said, oh, I can answer that one because I've had a personal experience with it. At my previous church, I'll tell you about a kid named Michael. I had about 115 kids in my second church I served in. And we would meet, like the junior high met from 6.30 to 7.30 and 7.30 to 8.30. The high school kids met. And I led both Bible studies. And so we just, we didn't have a nice, like, youth building to meet and everything. We just had a Sunday school room. And so I'd have about 60 to 65 junior high kids in this Sunday school room. Way too many for the space that we were in, you know. And they're junior high kids. So... And I'm the only adult in there with him. And there was this one kid in my group named Michael. And Michael was 13 years old and he was 6'2". And so he looked like a 17-year-old, but he very much in his heart was a 13-year-old, okay? And people expected more of him because he was a bigger kid, but really he was just like the 4'2 kid. I mean, he was, he was the 13-year-old, all of him was. And so what I would do is tell kids, look, when I start to study the Bible, we're going we're gonna to talk about it. I'm going to ask you some questions you can interact. But if you're having a private conversation over here and you're distracting, you're keeping somebody else from listening, I'm going to look at you once and say, stop. I'm going to warn you. The second time, I'm going to ask you to leave. And that's the only way I know how to do it. You know, if, you're, if you don't want to be in here and you don't want to listen, I can't allow you to keep other kids from listening and trying to hurt, learn what, hear what God wants to do in their life. So we were having this Bible study one night, and um, you know how it works. You're talking, and we're sitting in a big circle. And as soon as I turn over here, out of the corner of my eye, I see these kids over here start talking. And as soon as I turn over there, they look like this. And then these kids over here start or whatever. And it's like, that's junior high, right? So anyway, I'm teaching along, and I see Michael sitting by some little girl, and he's flirting with her, you know. And so I start talking over here, and I see him. And I turn around and look at him. He's like, I was like, Michael, there's your warning, okay? Stop talking because you're keeping people around you from listening. You don't want to be here, that's fine, but you can stop talking and keep people from other, other people from listening and learning. So don't do it. Yes, sir. So I turn around, you know, five minutes later, I go back over here, I'm looking, I see him, I turn around. <clears throat> Isn't it weird? People always try to look natural, and they always look completely unnatural when they're trying to look natural. <laughs> it's like when somebody wakes up in church from sleeping, they're like, I'm awake. <laughs> no, you're not. So Michael does that look on his face, and I said, okay, Michael, out. Hit the door, man. Take off. And he had done, he did something that nobody up to that point in my ministry had ever done. He looked at me and he said, no, I'm not leaving. I thought, well, okay, what am I going to do now? I, I, 
this has never happened before, you know. I can't physically go, even if I could physically go remove him, I wouldn't, you know. That's not the right thing to do. So I'm going, what do I do? What would you do? There were no other adults in the room. There's nobody who could, like, intimidate him out of the room or whatever, you know. And so I just said, you know what? I stood up and I took my Bible and I said, well, guys, I'm only in control of one person in this room, me. So here's what I'm going to do. Since Michael doesn't want to leave and he clearly is distracting what's going on here tonight, I'm going to go down to my office and y'all can do whatever you want. And I got up and walked out. I never called Michael's parents. They called me the next day. Somehow they found out about it. And uh, every kid's parent in that room found out about it when they went home and told what happened. And Michael got in way more trouble than I could have ever gotten him in. And he was never a problem again. But here's the thing. I got to stay free from losing my temper and blowing up all over Michael and making a scene in front of all those kids and doing something I couldn't do anyway, and that's control somebody else. Right? It's insane to try to control somebody you don't have control over. But we do it sometimes. And and what's freeing is if you can just walk away and go, I'm not in control of them. Now, I know parents are sitting here going, now, wait a minute, I am supposed to be in control of my kids. And I would say that's true. When your kids are born and they're little and you make every decision for them, yeah, you have complete control over what they do. But hopefully in your parenting, as they grow older and as they reach different milestones and different levels, you're giving away more and more control to them. Because eventually, hopefully, they're going to leave your house and they're going to be in control of themselves. And you're not going to have to be in control of them anymore. That's the way it's supposed to work. But for a lot of parents, they do it the opposite way. They let their kids run wild and do all kinds of crazy things when they're little. And then when they get older, they try to wrench it down on them, you know, and take total control of them. And they get rebellion. Because kids know, like all of us know, that it's really not somebody else's place to control us. That, that God is sovereign and God's in control. Not, not somebody else's job to do that over us. So, so we got to stay free from control. And I think sometimes the reason that we get into trouble with the, the control trap is that we have responsibility confusion. We forget and don't realize who we're actually responsible for. You're responsible for you. That's why Jesus looked at Peter and said, follow me, Peter. You're responsible to follow me. John is responsible to follow me. You're not responsible for John and John's not responsible for you. So we get responsibility confusion. We start trying to control our spouse. And I'm so glad that Bryant Wright is going to be here next Sunday. He's going to preach a great message about marriage. I don't know if he's going to deal with this issue specifically. But in our marriages sometimes, that's where we really see control start to rear its ugly head, isn't it? Don't look at your spouse right now, okay? You can talk about it later. But really, even your spouse, you're not, it's not God's assignment for you to try to control them in everything that they do. Um, we have to trust God. And then when we do, yeah, we actually can find freedom. You know, sometimes in people's lives that we seek to control, we end up thwarting or trying to thwart God's process of sowing and reaping in their lives. The Bible talks about that. It says in Galatians 6, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. In other words, God remains unchanged and in control regardless. For whatever a man sows, he'll also reap. Because the one who sows to the flesh will reap corruption from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. And sometimes when somebody has made a bad decision, they need to reap the consequences of that choice. And we step in sometimes and interrupt that process. We want to take control of the situation. We want to keep them from having to experience the reaping part. And God wants to use that in their life to actually bring them to a place where they understand how to control themselves. And so why do people fall into the control trap? There's a lot of motivations. One, some people control out of a sense of protection. 
Basically, they say, I want to make sure you're safe. So if I do this or this or this, I can make sure you're safe. And again, I'm not talking about little kids. I'm talking about other adults. I want to control you to make sure you're safe. Well, that's not your job. Sometimes control manifests itself in our hearts as love. You think, well, I want what's best for you. And I know what's best for you. So I'll try to control you. That's the way it looks sometimes. Sometimes it's fear. If I don't control you, you might do something bad. Ever felt like that? Yeah. Maybe you got a relative who struggles in their life to to have control as an adult of their life. And people are all around. It's amazing how people gather all around them and try to help them by controlling their situation. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Only they can control themselves. Control sometimes is insecurity. If I don't control you, you might leave me. Sound familiar? I'm scared that if I don't do all this stuff to control you, you might walk out of my life. So i got to really ratchet down the wrench on you and make sure I control you. Sometimes we think of, of control as transformation. I want to control you so I can change you to be who I want you to be. <laughs> right? And honestly, in marriage, yeah, you know what I'm going to say, right? God didn't give you the other person to change the person you're married to. It's not your job. We have responsibility confusion. We think we're responsible to change people. We're not. We're responsible to follow Jesus as Christians. That's our responsibility, to focus on that instead of putting our eyes on other people and trying to change them. I love the serenity prayer. You guys are probably familiar with this. Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous use it. Celebrate Recovery Programs use it. It's a simple prayer. It says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things that I can, and wisdom to know the difference. That's a very biblical prayer. It goes right along with what we're talking about this morning. Look at that. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. You know what I can't change? I can't change you. I can't change anybody but me. So grant me the serenity to accept that, to let go of that. Give me the courage to change the things that I can. What can I change? I can change me. I can change whether or not I follow Jesus closely. I can change that. I should have control over myself. We're not even doing a sermon about self-control today. But, but the Bible says that's one of the fruits of the Spirit is to control yourself. I can control that. The wisdom to know the difference. Listen to what James says about wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and without criticizing, and it will be given to him. That's a great promise. God, all these challenges I have in my life just should chase me back to you so that I ask you for wisdom because I don't know what to do in this situation. And we don't get it right all the time. We need God's wisdom. We need to know what to do sometimes, and, and we ask him. So what would happen today in your life if you gave up the responsibility of controlling anyone else, any other adult in your life but you. What would that be like? You know what it'd be like? It'd be free. (laughs) You'd be free. You'd experience freedom like you maybe have never experienced. And you would love it because God wants you to be free. What if the people who are in your life that you seek to control, what if they could be free from your constant surveillance in their life? Then they'd be free. And that's what the Lord wants for us is to walk in freedom so when we see control issues start to surface in our, in our relationships, yeah, we got to stay focused on following Jesus. we got to stay free from actually trying to control other people. And the third thing, relationship goal this morning, is we got to stay fruitful by resting in God's control. See, God has a plan. He's in control, whether you believe it or not. You might look around at life sometimes, even your own lives, and think there's just chaos everywhere. How could God be in control? Because God's sovereign. There's no one above him. There's no board he has to go get permission from. There's no one he has to seek advice from. God is sovereign. He is in complete control. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean God controls everything about you all the time? 
I don't think so. I mean, when you look at the Gospels, when you see Jesus in, in, the, in the four Gospels, do you see him constantly controlling people? No, you see him leading people. You see him speaking the truth to people, but not forcing them to do what he wants them to do. Even in this situation, he's not controlling Peter. He's trying to teach Peter. He's trying to instruct him. So what better example do we have than Jesus Christ to follow? He's God. He's sovereign. And that means that he is in complete control. And that means that he gives away some of his control to you and to me so that we get to make choices ourselves. Right? And sometimes we do great things with that control and sometimes we do not so great things with that control. But only a sovereign God could give you and me some of that control. He's the highest court in the universe. Only he could do that. What I know about controlling other people is that controlling other people is a relationship killer. And when you seek to control someone, they know they shouldn't be controlled by anyone and you probably know in your heart you shouldn't be doing it. But why do you do it? Because you're not resting in God's control. Does it mean if you rest in God's control that he's going to make everything right with that person that, that you want to have happen? No, because he gave them freedom too. He gave them a choice as well, and they may choose to do the wrong thing with it, but that's not your business. That's between them and God. What you can do in those situations when there's someone you love who's doing things that are not good for them and not going to be good for you ultimately maybe, is you can rest in God's control. That's the only way to bear fruit anyway. I mean, Jesus said in John 15 that the only way we can bear fruit is if we abide in him. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, my father's glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. You can't bear fruit by seeking control. The only way you bear fruit in your life is by surrendering. It's by resting. To me, there's no more obvious um, demonstration of trust than rest. Like when your child falls asleep on your lap and they're completely, completely trusting that you're going to hold them there. Not a care in the world that you might drop them, that they might not be able to sit there. No, rest is the purest demonstration of, tr of trust. And so what happens is you see that if you trust in God's control, you can actually rest even when the chaotic things are going on. And you can give up your right or your desire to control other people. And it's so important. I said a second ago, Peter wanted to lead he wanted to do what Jesus wanted him to do, but he got his eyes on the wrong thing. And I don't know about you, but I can relate to that. He got his eyes off the fact that Jesus was actually the master and he had the master plan. And he said to John, if I want John to stay here until I come back, what is that to you? Now, he, didn't, he wasn't saying John's going to stay alive for 2,000 years. He wasn't saying that or plus or whatever. He was just saying, it's not your thing, Peter. It's my thing with John. Whatever I want John to do, John will do. But that's not your responsibility. It's not your place. And so what he was saying is, trust me, Peter. Just put your trust in me and keep following me. Keep focused on me. And so this morning, what I would say is this. All of us deal with control issues in our relationships. And all of us have to decide if we're going to take control of things we shouldn't control. All of us have to decide if we're going to follow Jesus personally. And all of us have to decide if we're going to stay fruitful in our life by, by resting in God's control. The idea and the knowledge that God, God is completely unlimited in his control over what goes on around us. Are you there this morning? Have you come to the place where you can actually rest in that truth? Not act like you're resting in it, but truly in your heart go, okay, let go and let God. God is in control and I'm not. And that's a good thing. I'm not called to be God. God is God. God is God alone. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning as we close. And, and you can't hear a sermon like this and not respond in some way in your heart. So 
I'm going to ask you not to look around right now, just between me and you and the Lord. When you hear that message, do you think, I know, I know what I need to do this morning. I need to regain my focus. I'm not, I've not been focused on following Jesus personally. I've been focused on a lot of other things. I've been focused on people that I wish would change. Does that hit you right between the eyes this morning? Maybe you say, you know, really, I have been trying to control people, and it's driving me crazy. I, I don't have any freedom. I don't have any sense of, ah, oh, you know, peace about life because I'm constantly worried too much about what other people are doing. Then this morning, can I ask you just to consider committing yourself to trusting, to resting in God's control? God was in control before you got here on the earth, and he'll be in control when you're not on the earth someday. He is totally in control of what happens. And peace, real peace, only comes from resting in his control. So this morning, just take a couple of seconds and either recommit, refocus, release control. Do whatever you need to do before the Lord. And then some of you may need to leave here and you may need to go apologize and repent to someone that you've sought control over. And, and own it. Because that's the really the queer, quickest way to change is to actually own what you've done. Admit it, own it, and move away from it. Turn away from it. Father, I pray this morning that your will would be done in my life. And that's all I can pray this morning is that your will will be done in my life. I want it to be done in everybody else's life in this room too, but, but they have to want that, and you know that, Lord. I'm thankful, God, for the truth this morning that I don't have to control anybody else. That's so freeing. You don't expect that from me. I, I love that, that you give me my own life and ask me and commit to me to, to challenge me to follow you. And I want to follow you personally, Jesus. I'm thankful you're alive and that you're real and that you speak. I want to hear you speak to me today. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. And this is a response time. So our staff are going to be down here at the front. And if you need to make a spiritual decision, you'd like prayer for something or you want to get information about joining our church or maybe there's some other need in your life this morning, I'm going to invite you just to come forward now as, as uh, Ricky sings. You do what the Lord leads you this morning. for those around you this morning. Just ask the Lord to move in their hearts this morning. We continue as Ricky continues to sing. so much this morning for your attention to God's word and uh, and people are still praying down here at the front that's fine if you want to make a spiritual decision our ministers are going to make their way out to our hospitality room if you're a guest this morning and you'd like to meet someone say hey I'd like to meet somebody from staff this morning kind of get a little better connected there's a place right through those doors over there called guest central there's just a big banner over there and there'll be some staff members out there and they'd love a chance to meet you and talk with you as well and so whatever your spiritual need is don't leave here today uh, without speaking to somebody, having prayer together, and, and that all happens out those doors over there. If you fill out the Connect card and you still have it with you this morning, 
There's an information booth right behind you in the, in the foyer. You can drop it there or give it to one of our staff members this morning. But I'm glad I got to be in the house of the Lord this morning, aren't you? Good to see you guys this morning. You guys are dismissed.